The 1980s saw a massive shift for Bowie in his music, particularly in 1982 when he began recording his 15th studio album. The man himself underwent a personal transformation in which he quit using drugs, particularly cocaine, which defined the later 70s for him, and he took up boxing. For his music, he teamed up with hitmaker Nile Rodgers after Scary Monsters and Super Creeps to make a hit album. Quote, When I got to Switzerland, he told me that he wanted me to do what I did best. Niall, I really want you to make hits, and I was sort of taken aback, because I'd always assumed that David Bowie did art first, and then if it happened to become a hit, so be it, said Rogers. 1983's Bowie album Let's Dance was a hit, as was the tour made to promote it. Despite the success, the end result left Bowie in a difficult position. The record label was demanding a new album to capitalize on Bowie's now massive audience, and Bowie had no new material written, having been on tour almost nonstop since the album released. This set the stage for what is often considered one of Bowie's worst albums. 1984's Tonight wound up being more like a sequel to his 1973 cover album, Pinups, than anything else. Of the nine songs on the album, only two are solely written by Bowie, and Bowie had resigned himself to only providing vocals for the album's tracks, similar to his role in Let's Dance. Without Rogers there to bring his hitmaker skills, the album suffered. Quote, Great material that got simmered down to product level. I really should have not done it quite so studioly. I think some of it was a waste of really good songs. You should hear the demos from those two albums, said Bowie later. All this said, the album hit number one on the UK album charts, and the tracks written solely by Bowie do have a strong following behind them. Blue Jean is often featured on greatest hits collections and essential Bowie albums and the like. The other Bowie pen single is less popular, but it stands out as being the closest to a classic Bowie song in an otherwise completely out there album. That's right, we're talking Loving the Alien on Bowie Me. <laughs> That's right, it's Bowie Me, the only podcast that compares famous Bowie songs to their many cover versions to find out which one is salvation for the mirror blind. I'm your host as always, The Snake, joined by my Templar co-host... Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger, how are you? I am doing pretty sweetly in my secret society of like-minded individuals... But well, that's not how it works, is it? Uh, my only knowledge of the Templars is from National Treasure. Okay. And Assassin's Creed, or not familiar enough? <laughs> I guess Assassin's Creed as well. No, that was a lie, because I, I know a little bit about the Templars. Although, Maybe I can guess the rest. Yeah, I can guess the rest. <laughs> Although I think National Treasure suggests that the Templars became the Masons, and I honestly don't know if that's true or not. That's the trouble with all these, like secret conspiracy films and media yeah. is that they have little nuggets of truth, right? And yeah. you don't know where the lines end if you're not familiar. Yeah, so there's a mystery there. Anyway. National Templars, Treasure, great that's film. That's the point. Um, it's two questions for you, Alex. One, do you think Bowie has seen, had seen National Treasure before he passed? Oh, I hope so. I hope so, too. And two, do you think he's played any Assassin's Creed games or was aware of the franchise? Unlike, I mean, he was in a video game and composed the soundtrack for it. But uh, I I don't get the impression that he played them regularly. No, I think he would have been into the concept. He was a big futurist guy, right? That's true. Some science, science fiction in there. Science fiction in there. Um, I was reading that William S. Burroughs interview he did again. He was talking 
and this was like in 1970, I think 73 or 74. Um, and he's like, yeah, in seven years, man, holograms, they're going to be everywhere. Holograms. <laughs> oh, the, holograms is similar to VR in that it's always like five years away. Yeah, it always seems like we're right on the cusp of it. But yeah, he was but definitely a guy that anyway, likes the future. So would he have played the game or known about it? I'm going to say no, but... It was pretty big he, for a while there, so he might have heard of it. I don't know. He might have heard of it. And I mean, also... Uh, Duncan Jones directed a, a Warcraft movie, right? That's correct. So his like, son is, I guess, a gamer. Yeah, so maybe through his family. Uh, his if family. nowhere, if from nothing else, he would have heard of it. That's not impossible. But played it? Uh, I, I don't think it, it doesn't seem likely. No, I, th- I think he would have been waiting for the next, I think if he was around now to see VR, we might have been able to see a video of David Bowie playing like a fucking Oculus Rift or something. Yeah, playing like Beat Saber or something. Yeah. Oh, well, now I am craving things that can never happen. But something <laughs> did happen, Alex, in 1984. The album Tonight came out. It did. Tell me about your familiarity with it. Almost none. Like, I kind of skipped it. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I based my, my initial like Bowie knowledge on the like wikipedia articles i could read when i was in my teens whatever free information there was and they were like ah these ones suck don't don't pay attention to them and i was like sure i won't uh and i didn't and uh i don't really i i do want to like just for historical understanding go back and listen to it and know it but i i Mm -hmm. haven't gotten around to it they are oddball albums this one tonight and never let me down i think both have some good stuff on them and despite some of the the trash this album gets it is pretty adventurous in what sounds it tries to produce but i don't think a lot of them play out well in the end yeah especially not as like something you would you would want from like david bowie Mm-hmm. um but also blue jeans a great song I don't even hardly know Blue Jean. Oh, you should get to know yeah. Blue Jean. Great one. Um, and his, his cover of Tonight is interesting, particularly because I had never heard the original. And then I heard the original maybe like a year or two ago, and I was like, oh, this blows the Bowie version out of the water. But the Bowie version has like a nice like sweetness and its sincerity to it that is... I mean, it's still there in the Iggy Pop version, but that one's layered in a in a bit of like dirt and grime because that's where you you find out that the story is about. I think it's a partner who is like dying of an overdose. Right. I mean, There's a spoken like, word section in in the yes. Iggy Pop version, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is that's off the bat, and Bowie says he doesn't do that because it's more of an Iggy Pop thing. Oh uh, yeah, that track features Tina Turner. We're gonna talk, we're talking about loving the alien though. Um, which right off the bat, great title for for anything. And yeah. by title alone sounds like some Bowie stuff, right? It does. It really does. And and almost like a bit ambiguous because like I, I'm still a little unclear on exactly what it's supposed to mean. Um although I have some ideas that I don't know might yeah, make sense. I expected it to be more confusing coming into it. And I, yeah, I maybe I'm expecting glance, too much. The lyrics are uh intimidating 
Yeah. And you go, oh, what? Like, cause listening, yeah. having listened to this song casually, I really only knew, like, the title line. True. I like, and really only knowing the live version. Mm-hmm. Personally. Um, never really listened to the lyrics that closely, uh, except for, of course, for the title line. And I was kind of starting to think, like, does it mean just liking weird things? Like, liking things that are alien to you? Yeah, but that doesn't it was actually be like some seem to sci-fi be romance or something. Yeah, and then these lyrics open up in a completely different direction. So let's get into them. Yeah, let's talk about. Um, it. it starts watching them come and go. The Templars and the Saracens—they're traveling the Holy Land. Opening telegrams. So, opening telegrams. Uh, torture comes and torture goes. Knights who'd give you anything—they bear the cross of Coeur Leon. Salvation for the mirror blind. Yeah, so I mean, it paints a picture, I guess, of of the the Middle East, mm-hmm. um, and kind of specifically, but also non specifically, <laughs> in a certain period of time, uh, the Templars and the Saracens um, are, of course, related to the Crusades, mm-hmm. and it also mentions the Cross of Cordelion, which is related to Sir Richard the Lionheart. Uh, so it would have been the Third Crusade, specifically, as I understand. I uh, don't know how significant that is, but there's another line uh, where they say opening telegrams, which they definitely didn't have during the Third Crusade. Yeah, that's... So <laughs> that was more of like a... In terms of like the Middle East and and like its interactions with the west i will say um the the big change moments i think that get brought up are obviously the crusades and then like the dividing of the middle east after world war one those are like big events and then of course you know the modern like resource war stuff obviously the united states only recently uh left afghanistan there was iraq obviously it was a big thing there too uh so being very unspecific it almost seems like when they ta- when he's talking about opening telegrams he is not just talking about the um crusades but also starting to compare it to the future which in this case would probably be the post-world war one era of like lawrence of arabia and stuff like that right yeah, that seems likely. Um, yeah, opening telegrams being a bit of a chronological anomaly, um, which there is a word for that I've forgotten. Um, yes, there is a word, and that word is. Oh, it's like not just a pair, a temporary anachronism. Paradox, it's a an anachronism. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, and I wonder as well because we're obviously going to have to deal with the concept of what the alien is here, though we haven't gotten to that yet. Yep. Um. I think the telegrams here, we're talking about two basically religions clashing. Uh, We can see the telegrams as both the anachronism that shows the timelessness of this conflict and also maybe like them receiving messages from God is opening these telegrams. Right. Something alien to that time period, but like like deemed to be mystical or magical. They're receiving guidance from a, 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 a then unknown source. Right, which seems to be the concept of, like, a god does seem to be central to this song. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I should have probably opened with this, but there is a, a loose quote from Bowie about what the song is about. He says the track, quote, came about because of my feelings that so much history is wrong, as is being rediscovered all the time, and that we base so much on the wrong knowledge that we've gleaned. So I don't think that's immediately useful for these lyrics, unless he's suggesting that there were telegrams during the <laughs> Templar and Sanderson time. A lot of people don't, don't know this, but telegrams were actually invented like a thousand years before we thought they were. Yeah, I had them forever, bro. And that's why history is, that's what history is lying about. That specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, also, reference to torture. A fucking A. Sorry, one of my windows decided to give me an audio ad for like half a second. Nice. And all it said was Nomadland. Nomadland. Who is actually the sponsor of today's episode? <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, the phrase torture comes and torture goes, uh, sort of trivializing the idea of torture mm-hmm. and just bad times. It's like things, thing. it's an ongoing, it's been happening for a long time. People are used to it. Um, and then the kind of the fun, like probably a metaphor line, uh, salvation for the mirror blind. What? Does it mean to be mirror blind? Because I can think of two possible explanations, but they're related. Hit me with them. Um, one is you're blind to mirrors, so you can't see yourself, meaning in this case you can't introspect. You're not self-aware enough. Or two, you're blinded by a mirror, so you're too busy focusing on yourself uh, to see what is around you. So it's like more of a, a selfishness thing. Uh, right. Sort of self-absorption. I see. I think it leans more, my interpretation leans more towards the first. Being um, unable to to be self-aware to, enough. To introspect, to be self-aware. And even, I think there is maybe the most, like, I don't know if it's the literal, but not being able to see another person in the mirror, essentially. See, your reflection is, as much as it is you, it is also... A, a foreign or perhaps alien entity, right? Ooh. Something that looks similar to you. And this is this is maybe touching slowly on what I what I think the theme of this song is here, but we'll we'll get to that a little more. Let's talk about the pre-chorus in which he says, But if you pray, all your sins are hooked upon the sky. Pray and the heathen lie will disappear. Disappear. Yeah, which I think is another another line related to like the historical uh, context of the of the Crusades, because mm-hmm. at the time, um, there, I don't remember the specifics now, but there was some promise of like, oh, join the Crusades and like the Pope will forgive your sins or something like that. Like, like that was one of the one of the benefits of going to fight in in the Holy Land if you were yeah. European. Well, and, and we've just come from the, the, the verse about torture comes and torture goes. Because mm-hmm. if you pray, all your sins are hooked upon the sky. There's an easy exit to excuse evil, and it's prayer. Yes. Kind of perhaps the idea that um, a religion might focus too much on the use of prayer as opposed to actually doing like work to either better yourself or or solve a problem Mm -hmm. yeah it's not grounded in practical means it's grounded in like theoretical and uh unseen actions 
And then, of course, Prey and the Heathen, heathen Lie will disappear. Um, naturally, there are two sets of heathens here, depending on, or I guess three, if you include non-believers as well. But looking directly at the Holy War, the Templars viewed the Saracens as heathens, and I imagine vice versa. Yeah, I think, I think they count as non-believers, though. Even though they uh, yeah, something, they just don't believe in the same thing as you. Right, so they'd lump them all together as the same anyway. Yeah. Well, there you go. So it's a little what sarcastic. Even lie, just that there's a different way. Sorry. Uh, what is the heathen lie? Is I think it's they're... just the heathen lie is just what the other people believe in. It's, Fair it's their beliefs, which are admittedly somewhat similar to your own, <laughs> but you know, also different. Mm-hmm. And I guess in, in that there's the idea of historic erasure, which is kind of what Bowie has talked about itself he's saying well it's right. history gets changed and so much of what we know isn't actually the truth so if you you pray hard enough and you're, goes you're away. righteous you know religious or, crusade you can you can eliminate quote-unquote lies but perhaps, or, or yeah or like change the narrative mm-hmm. to favor your story perhaps exactly um, of course, course one, we come to now. Prayers, they hide the saddest view, believing the strangest things, loving the alien. And your prayers, they break the sky in two, believing the strangest things, loving the alien. Yeah, I mean, this is the big part that I guess I, I knew, right? Mm-hmm. Big part you can hear, because the chorus is pretty big. Yeah, um, what is hiding the saddest view? Um, I think it's got to be about... You know, we we turn to prayer. Obviously, desperate people turn to prayer. True. It's a pretty classic image. And I think in those prayers is, you know, it's salvation that's kind of used to cover up real problems. Again, if we're looking at the all your sins are hooked upon the sky, this sort of like just skirting under the rug of actual issues. Hidden in prayer is (laughs) like perhaps what you actually need or what's actually causing you pain. And then breaking the sky in two. I mean, I can, I can think of what, what image that conjures up, and that's the, the clouds moving aside mm-hmm. and, like, basically God emerging, <laughs> often as a ray of light or something like that. That's right. That's definitely one view on it. Um, of course, sandwich, that line is sandwiched between believing the strangest thing and loving the alien. You can also imagine an alien coming from that sky, or indeed the alien being God himself. True. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the big question now. What, what is the alien? What is loving the alien? Mm-hmm. I mean, we should maybe talk about the, the end chorus here, which contains one very slightly different line that I think sure. unveils a lot. So chorus two, he says, you pray till the break of dawn. Believing the strangest things, loving the alien. And then he says, and you'll believe you're loving the alien. Uh, meaning that it's, it's based in belief as opposed to like knowledge or whatever? Um, that- yeah, so uh, to, to an extent, yes. In that coming back to sort of the first chorus and the idea of prayer in the pre-chorus and praying to the sky, the sky gets torn asunder, you see God. And you mistake that for the alien. Whereas the actual alien is 
the other people, is these heathens. It is the people you are rallying against. So in your quest for like, you know, religious fulfillment or whatever, the the truth of religion, it, you know, preaching loving the alien. Off, often, like in Christianity, the idea is you know love thy neighbor, but that right. seems to get thrown aside in in favor of loving this this idea of the alien, which is just God in space who doesn't actually like there's no physical proof of him there. Right. So essentially he's talking from my perspective about committing atrocities towards your fellow man in the name of a, a higher power when truly the, the higher power is these other people who we're on this planet with. I mean, that makes sense. I was really struggling with that line. Cause I mean, there's a lot of suggestions that like, Oh God is the alien. Um, and I don't think that totally, uh, explains everything. No, I don't think it, a lot of people on the genius one point to a lot of Bible passages and stuff, and they just seem to be like coincidentally related rather than providing extra meaning. (laughs) Yeah, that seems to happen a lot. Uh. (laughs) That is, uh, that's the genius way. Um, um, but that also comes up in verse two, I think really clarifies it. Because, again, it it talks about the Bowie point about history and how it's being sort of guided by a force that is not necessarily a a reliable narrator. Um, And so verse 2 is thinking of a different time, Palestine, a modern problem. You kind of already touched on this in verse 1. Bounty in your wealth and land, terror in a best laid plan. Watching them come and go tomorrow and the yesterdays, Christian and the unbelievers hanging by the cross and nail. Yeah. So you you mentioned this this clarifies the the chain the like historical yeah, fact versus in that second half altered fact I think because he talks about tomorrow and the yesterdays so literally all of time yeah <laughs> and Christians and the unbelievers are both hanging by the cross and nail which itself is Christian iconography yes so we're all being held up or you know we're attached to a, a Christian narrative. And that is altering how we are seeing the world, our perspective, and of course, how we we treat other people. Yeah, and I also thought for that final line, just the way it's phrased without me, it's like, there's Christians and then the unbelievers hanging by the cross and it's like, it's kind of a switching of perspectives because obviously the sort of origins of Christianity is in the persecution of, I guess, Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the irony of that leading to a future of Christian groups who persecute others. Mm-hmm. Um, drawing some uh, parallels between that. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. Um, and then, of course, as we said, it kind of moves through time and shows how things don't necessarily change a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about Palestine. Now, when he says Palestine, a modern problem, he's talking about the mid-80s. So I was looking up, like, what is actually happening in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. in like Israel Palestine area and uh, several of the events were uh Lebanese Christians that were allied with Israel uh working more directly against uh various Palestinian groups so there were Christian groups kind of more specifically right so there's specifically still a Christian element yeah, in directly fighting that area against uh i guess probably I'd say Palestinian Arabs. 
which would generally be associated with Islam. Right. Over land. Over. <laughs> yeah, bounty on your wealth and, and land. Yeah. And then uh, and, uh, terror in the best laid plans. Terrorism in there. It says terror in the uh, best laid plans. Now, uh, the plan to me is reminiscent. I, I shouldn't say it. That's that's a weird phrasing. Uh, but it reminds me, makes me think of like the plan that kind of started this whole part of the conflict, which was the dividing of the Middle East after World War One, which mm. kind of cut out, uh, introduced. The idea of, like, a modern Israel. Okay. And kicked off a lot of the direct, like, land uh, competition between Israel and Palestine. And a lot of other stuff, too, because they drew a lot of borders on maps that didn't necessarily make sense. Right. That actually clues in really well with the rest of it. These false or imagined borders that we've constructed, right, between people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that checks out. I think that's good on you for looking this up because I did not. Even I, d- I did a bit of research on the on yeah post World War One divisions in the Middle East because I, I was really curious because I was like, okay, so obviously there's still conflict going on in mm-hmm. like the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and all that, but like that's now thirty some odd years later. Like it was still happening then, but like what what did it look like at the time? And it turns out like similar. But I think maybe there was a little more Palestine at the time. I don't remember. The borders have changed, obviously. And Anyway. Right, um, so that is the, yeah. the second verse, essentially. The problem is still persisting. And even our best laid plans, which are, of course, built from a, a system that is hanging by the cross and nail, as it were. It's all still stemming from this Christian root of divide and conquer. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, like, the big question that I see is, like, can these problems be solved from this religious perspective? Because that's what we've been trying to do for a thousand years. Doesn't seem to be working all that well. Yeah. And that's and that again takes us to the because this is just really it's two verses two verses and then the chorus which has the the slight variation we've already talked about. Yeah, it's chorus. not a ton of lyrics for what is a seven plus minute song. Song, yeah, in its original form. <laughs> not a ton of lyrics and like yeah, they are um, rich with historical content, which is intimidating at a glance. Yeah. But I do think the the overall message is pretty clear. It's a very like uh, if if you're familiar with like Nietzsche at all, his whole thing is like love the earth, God is dead because there is no no greater other being. There's just the time we have here. So this kind of plays with ideas of that, where he's like prayer without any you know practical action to unite us behind it is is useless. And in fact, that's my other uh, interpretation of breaking the sky in two. Is you're you're also literally breaking nature, like oh, yeah. not only dividing it, which is a, another concept in here, but like really breaking our natural routine and and turning it into something worse and creating these conflicts. Hmm. Yeah. So I I kind of was expecting a little more, just like a, something else with the metaphor for some reason. 
but it i mean it really spells out what it's talking about like it's very <laughs> it really does uh, in a lot of ways that you know it brings up the crusades and it brings up uh palestine and stuff and it's like mm-hmm. yeah that's uh that's where conflicts ha- like religious conflicts happen so yeah and i guess like as far as bowie songs go they don't typically tackle something as as sort of like on the nose as this does he doesn't really reference a lot of other world events typically in his music <clears throat> that's true yeah this one gets pretty specific mm-hmm. which is uh, it kind of throws you off a bit if you're used Damn. to other bowie being like more of i mean you are you brought up nietzsche and yeah he definitely has done that. Yeah. Uh, so he's more likely to bring up, yeah, like philosophy than current events. But here you go. Here you go. It's, uh, and like, like Bowie himself has said, and we're going to get into the song itself, but he says, you should hear Loving the Alien on demo. It's wonderful on demo, I promise you. But on the album, it's not as wonderful. <laughs> and <laughs> what a segue to get into the music of this. It is an interesting piece of music. And like you said, the album version is seven minutes long. It's a, big massive piece yeah yeah so we listened to the single cut because it's only just under five minutes so. just under five minutes and it's the same one they use for the music video and having listened to the album version a couple times in this one we're not losing too much here no the album version mostly like adds a guitar solo yeah but you know you get all the words in both so in both also, just before we move on, I do I did remember that uh, his guitarist at the time, Carlos Alomar, ah, thought yes. the song was about Major Tom. <laughs> yeah, I do remember reading that. <laughs> I don't think he could be further off the mark with that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so easy to do, right? Because you you hear Alien and you think David Bowie, you're like, oh, Space, yeah, Major Tom, Ziggy Stardust, we get it. Yeah, that's the David Bowie thing. It really does. As it's, far as like. Like, I think you said this already, but as far as David Bowie's song titles goes, this is about as, like, David Bowie as it gets, especially at the time. Yeah. Um, But then the song is a bit bit out of left field. A bit out of left field, and so is that music production, um, of which it is pretty heavily produced. We start with actually a very, like, bright, it's a very uplifting start. It's an interesting start because it's not that much like the rest of the song, uh, Mm -hmm. like intro guitar. And it reminds me quite a bit of like the Buddha of Suburbia. Yeah. Album in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But only for a couple seconds. Yeah, we break from that pretty quickly to uh, like a more spooky space. Yeah, it, it gets into that like weird, there's some interesting harmony in this too. I, I forgot mm-hmm. to look up the chords specifically, but I, there was an interview with Jerry Leonard where he's talking about how much he does like the harmony of this song. Um, but uh, oh, and there's some like the other spooky thing he does is like ah 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 ah, uh-huh. uh, 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 like vocalization stuff. Um, but a lot of this song is built off of arpeggios on all kinds of stuff and in particular probably the most distinctive part of this song which comes in pretty soon in the intro after those vocalizations is the marimba yeah um, which is actually a fairly unique sound i i think the marimba is actually a strong part of this i think it works it's out there but it 
it brings in that sort of mysterious air that this song, I think, demands. It does use. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like pretty simple. It's probably like the most hookish part of the song, and it ends up getting yeah. used later. Oh, I won't go into it yet. But it yeah, comes but up you again. You will see uh, like a yeah. variation on this marimba pattern. Except kind of minor. And then like a lot of synth sounds. Um, I like strings. I think string synths. I, I looked at the credits and there's no strings credited, so it seems to be synthesizers. It's a lot of synthesizers. Right. And the whole thing sounds more like electronic in terms of. And like 80s production, you know, like it's very mm-hmm. busy and there's a lot of like there's some drums, but some of them might be electronic. The bass in particular sounds synthy to me. Yeah. At times, not all the time. Bass guitar is credited on this. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oddly enough, looking at the, uh, the personnel here. Yeah. You got but there's Derek a lot of Ramble. stuff going on in this song. Yeah. And like, like Bowie said himself, a lot of production went into this perhaps too much. So that the fact that a bass guitar is coming off synthy maybe speaks to that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Oh, I see bass guitar and synthesizer. But mm-hmm. maybe bass synthesizer? Yeah, possibly a bass synthesizer. He could, be, he could be doubling on that. He could be doing any number of things. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Um, most of which are not really very recognizable. Uh, mm-hmm. Particularly that marimba player. Guy, Guy St. Ange? I don't really know how to say that. Yeah, um, I... No. <laughs> anyway, so there's a lot of those... So that, that, that marimba arpeggio, big part of the song's identity. Um, but there's other arpeggios too, like uh, going into the first verse, uh, there's the rising arpeggio is also on the guitar. I believe. Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. Hang on, I'm, I'm listening for it. So like just before... Oh, sorry, it's vocals. a different arpeggio. It's not the same arpeggio, but... They're playing different arpeggios. <laughs> or maybe it's just another arpeggio. Could be. There's definitely playing like da 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 da. It's more descending. Yeah, da 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 Yeah, whereas the uh, the marimba is, I think, ascending. Bum yeah. bum bum bum. And uh, that's how that goes, baby. A lot of this is like setting, filling out, you know, setting the beat. And going. Yeah. That said, and the sections change mm-hmm. a fair amount. Like we get into the pre-chorus, and it actually has a big change. Um, brings. No, wait. Am I looking at the wrong one? No. There's like a another arpeggio in the pre-chorus. Am I going too fast? Oh um, no, you're going just fast enough. <laughs> okay. You get this like wavery. Yeah, we up the mystery <laughs> vibe on it. Yeah. This pre-chorus is very interesting. I guess two sections, that's what it has. So it has that part, mm-hmm. you know, that arpeggio. And then as it moves into the end and like toward the chorus, it, it changes everything, changes the timing. Yeah. I think quarter note triplets, but I was having trouble counting it. Yeah, I didn't think to count it. You're talking about that big, dumb transition into the chorus. Right? Yeah, it is very like... Very different from the rest of it. Very obvious transition. And I think that's kind of where this version goes a bit off the rails for me. <laughs> but like before, it's it's a bit eighties production. Like I would maybe tone down some elements. And yeah, I'm I think speaking, it's a bit course, busy. With the knowledge of later versions to say that, 
because I've seen what works for this. Yeah, true. But that big, stupid... Yeah, it really, really draws in attention. And it's like, mm-hmm. pay attention to this now. And you, you do. You do. And then it, we get just a big chorus that feels out of place in comparison to the, the air we've set up. It is a bit odd. Almost like as much as big as it is, it also doesn't feel like as different as it could be from the rest of mm-hmm. it, like as distinct as much. But like the vocals go like really hard here. Like the they vocals really do, are soaring. Yeah. They really like break out. Um, yeah. And it's a lot of like that ambient cacophony stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's there's some, or some of that. I don't know exactly what it is. It's fairly low in the mix, but like there's a lot of stuff filling it out. No marimba. Um, more like textury guitars and stuff. And backup singers too. There's a lot of stuff yeah. happening here. It's, it's very big. But yeah, I agree. It does feel a little awkward for reasons I don't necessarily yeah. understand. Even his like, vocal delivery is big, but it, I don't know if it's because... It's like there's something that doesn't hook me, and we'll, we will hear him do the we'll hear the live version where he still sings big in the chorus, but it's more like grounded in something. I just yeah, feels a little more organic. Something there. Whereas, whereas this one does feel, I guess, like he said, like a studio production. This is like pop idol David Bowie versus like musician and artist David Bowie. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. And I agree. I, I feel like this version is like kind of missing something. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's an alteration to something that's already there that it needs or if it needs like a middle age or something. Like it's something that it doesn't have. That it yeah. feels like it should should have something else. And I think that's a big part of why the original version just doesn't really grab me like some of the covers. Yeah. And like getting back to like that's your chorus, and then we kind of just come back to the that verse element, the the marimba and you know, supporting guitar that that Yeah, it's like back right back to the intro. Basically. And that's I think for the most part that's the production on this, isn't it? Like there's not a lot of Yeah, that pretty much covers it. I mean there's there's some slight variation on the on the chorus lines in the outro, uh which we talked about already. Um there's some like guitar bits at the end with some strings for the outro, but like that mostly covers it. Oh, and there's a few extra like vocalizations from from Bowie, like yeah, as he's singing. But yeah, not crazy, crazy different. Um, as much as it seems like everyone's kind of doing. The most of their thing, like the performances are, are good enough. You mm-hmm. know, no, nothing's like disappointing, but the song itself seems to be missing something. Yeah, like if any other artist had put this out or like an artist of lesser renown, you'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. But it just misses the mark by a bit for me. But and is... I wish I could explain why. Maybe it's because I heard the live version first. And I liked it so much, and then hearing this... Maybe. I had heard so the different. album version first, though. I went out of my oh. way to dive into the, the dumpster of David Bowie music. So I was like, <laughs> I gotta get it all. I gotta see how bad, bad Bowie is. And it's 
kind of confusingly bad because like there's I, I think there's even still merit in this original version but there it's yeah i mean reading some like uh, review quotes and interviews and stuff around the time this was kind of the song that people pointed to as like kind of the standout i think one mm-hmm. i think one person called it a masterpiece which i i don't quite agree with even though there is definitely merit here Definitely. And it's also, like you said, it is a very 80s sounding piece, like down to the production level, to how the, like how everything sounds. This sounds like it was made in 1984, which it yeah, was. Yeah, true. So I guess at the time, probably, yeah. now it sounds kind of dated in addition to all the other stuff, but at the time it didn't have that dated Yeah, so sound. I could picture being in the moment and being like, this is brilliant David Bowie. Yeah. Especially if you also, like like today, we always need people to have hot takes. If hot takes were a big industry in 1984, that would be a <laughs> right. good hot take to yeah. have. This thing is actually good, even though you thought it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and that, that's this song. He goes even bigger on the end, and we get some of that guitar solo that is cut from... It's, it was pared down in this. But yeah, it's a big, like, build-up chorus outro. With some of those string synths and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, interesting piece. And uh, thankfully, it also has an interesting music video. It does. It, it does. does have an interesting music video. Um, so this was co-directed by Bowie and David Mallet. David Mallet is a big uh, music video and concert film producer. Really prolific in the 80s. I think we talked about his uh, Wild is the Wind video with David Bowie last year. Oh... Which was pretty forgettable, so don't worry if you've forgotten about it. I, I forgot it about just, it. Like, black and white footage. Like, <laughs> right, they're just performing the song, like in a room. Yeah. Okay, I remember that now. But this one is much less forgettable. Directors of the 80s, like, yeah, you, you can throw a few bad ones. This one is much more yeah. interesting. But, but fascinating and, like, weird and in ways that it's not trying like it seems like it's trying to be weird in some ways but it's weird in ways it's not trying to be weird in <laughs> i think absolutely um and interestingly enough it was censored I, it was I I, yeah i saw there's an uncensored version. version but did they censored like a nosebleed that's right do you know at what point that nosebleed is at no i didn't act- i was i forgot to find it i found the uncensored yeah, okay. video in davidbowienews.com of course. But That's I never found the nosebleed. Yeah. Oh, is this it? No. So we've got, uh, this opens with like a sort of distorted, kind of like Hall of Mirrors, David Bowie. Oh, here's the nosebleed. All right. Prayer position. Where does he bleed his nose at? Uh, hang on, I had to back it up. Is this when he's scooping water out of that bowl? Did I miss it? I don't know. Um, it's... Late in the video. Is he blue I, I might have passed it by accident. Hang on. I lost it again. Okay. Go to like 3.30. 3.30. I wonder if it's in this YouTube version. No, it's not. Oh, is not. it that like shaking mirrored shot of him? Uh, yeah, that's what's happening. No, that's what's happening in the YouTube video. If you find the uncensored okay. one, his, it's not showing the shaking mirrored view version with the okay. blue faces. And it's just him looking at the box. camera with his nose bleeding. Ah. Uh, David Bowie News, he says it's around... Or it happens right after that. 
in the okay yeah it happens right after that i see he's got blood in the shot there i thought it would be with him being blue man i thought for sure that was going to be the shot see we got bowie shaking nose is bleeding a bit screaming at himself and then oh yeah nose starts starts bleeding yep anyway so it's 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 an oddball video like you said it starts with some kind of distorted VFX got some visual effects going on uh, which were probably more impressive in in the 80s kind of psychedelic looking Um, I think like major image we get is the album cover Mm -hmm. which is David Bowie's face is blue and and it's like a stained glass background but he's but unlike the like cool because i mean the cover actually looks pretty cool Mm -hmm. but it's like his face is like drawn in even though it's probably some kind of effect but here he's just like his face is just painted blue yeah and he looks stressed out (laughs) while he's praying there and he's like smiling so you can see his white teeth and he's got like red lipstick on presumably or maybe that's just his lips kind of looks like they're outlined in some oh they're not even anyway um and then it like shows on a set with these like matte painting backgrounds, and there's like a Tin Man playing the cello, and yeah, the like the Tin Man band. We get this yeah. wild first person shot of a man who must be Bowie playing the tambourine as he walks <laughs> up to the happen? stage. Yeah, okay, you get these weird like Tin Men with the big hats. So it's uh, like I guess kind of this meta things so are like, oh, we're shooting a music video. But he's got to yeah. brush away the flower petals first. So I, if if there's a metaphor there, I I didn't get it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, and well, we do get what is an absurdly happy looking Bowie. Yeah, that's the weird part to me. He comes out and he's dancing like this is let's dance. Yeah, like a song about dancing as opposed to a song about religious persecution. Yeah, and he like winks while delivering lines. He's like, oh, ho, ho. yeah. I wonder if that's meant to play to the, like, here's the performance of what we believe history to be or what reality is to be. It's gotta be. These other shots we get are, like, him getting weirdly tortured by a nun. (laughs) Um, It's... (laughs) He does this... uh, uh, this (laughs) It's so hard to pick a favorite shot, because in the last 20 seconds, this video just goes off the fucking wall. But him running... Yeah, just running along the set, and like you see the like paintings in the background of these buildings. Yeah, just like Scooby doing it, where the the track keeps repeating. <laughs> it does just repeat the same shot. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff, and he's like playing a piano in front of a yeah, fountain. A piano rises up in front of the fountain. It's That's not just true. there from the start. A <laughs> uh, shot of like him in like a dandy outfit. With a woman yeah. dressed in, I don't know if there's a name, but I'm going to say an outfit that looks reasonably Middle Eastern. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a real more East traditional. and West collision here. Yeah. He's covered this woman in money. Uh, yes. And he's all, they're also like in a ruin. Like yeah. they're among like trash. Exactly. I'm believing this to be some sort of insincere wedding where the driving principles are the money he's attached to her. Right. Sort of the false value, and then of course, yeah, wasteland because of all the the horrors we've committed. But there does seem to be a lot of like 
things that create a weird disconnect. Like we're talking about the guys playing the instruments, but and he's clearly playing like a, a I think a cello, but I don't really know a cello from an upright bass that well. Um, right. But it's like clearly an electronic song. But there's a guy on like an acoustic guitar, like a right. nylon string guitar, and a guy nylon like string guitar, and of course clearly not, not the instruments that are being either. played. Hmm. So there's a lot of that kind of imagery, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of. I guess a lot of this seems to be based on illusions and breaking them. Because the next shot after we see them playing their acoustic instruments is Bowie on a rock, and then he whips a smaller rock at this <laughs> what we think is a painting, but then it turns out to be just wall with a door behind it. Right. And then there's the actual statue there. Oh, is that what happens there? I th- oh yeah. <laughs> It's like a picture of the paint of, of a statue, and then he destroys the painting, and behind it's the actual statue. Yeah. It just has a different background now. It's like a brick wall instead of like a coastline or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you talked about, like, when he, t- when he talked about the song, it was about, like, history as it's written versus as it happened kind of thing. So, yeah. that does seem to be a major theme in the video. Yeah. Destroying it- the depictions of something. Yeah, I think so. And then we have, like, this other weird shot of him <laughs> gliding through water. And just, like, running his hand as he goes. Like, he's yeah. kneeling on top of the surface of water as he just, like, glides along. Yeah, it is... It is wild. Like, this is a visually striking video. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the shot of him drinking water, trying to cup it, and then... He sees blood in it. Oh yeah, I guess that kind of ties in with the nosebleed. Yeah, so that's I was I thought maybe the nosebleed would happen there, and then of course we see his own face in the water as he sings, and then there's like a nun holding fire at some point. She's like taking it from Bowie by the looks of it. She grabbed it from his hands. Yeah, it's like they touch hands and then her hand starts smoking. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we get praying Bowie with a, a light in his blue mouth. He does have a lot. He's really, like, that image. He He's, like, going crazy. Like, he's yeah. shaking. and Yeah, and we'll get that one mirrored later. Um, another strong East versus West image we get is, like, a literal Templar knight fighting. Uh, of course, again, I don't have the, the knowledge to identify exactly what it is, but... Uh, an Easter, a Middle Eastern looking sort of warrior. Right, it's like a joust scene. Or yeah. one guy has like a lance. Yeah, you think it's a joust until the other guy doesn't have a lance. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I guess one guy with like a horse on his head. Like yeah. a wire horse head thing. We see fire burning. Sword, yeah. so you get the we. I think we've got the idea. Um, the we go back to that Fair. wasteland marriage shot, and the the woman is taking the money off of her clothes and throwing it at Bowie. And then it all goes fucking haywire. <laughs> the oh, shit starts I didn't to watch, fade out. I did watch the very end. Oh, tell me you watched the end, because it is... I did watch the end. Bananas. Yeah. So the song goes haywire. We come to a different, like a more pale blue Bowie, and his hair is like yeah. bluish gray, and he's in a hospital bed. And he's listening to the song on like yes. some kind of headset. 
and then we we see the woman from the the the, the wasteland wedding, but she's like maybe. I don't know what she is, just a person. Then she goes in to kiss him, and then fucking <laughs> like time erupts. We just see Bowie shaking in space. Yeah, it's like it's like star blur, like in in Star Wars when they go into warp speed. Yeah, yeah, it's something else. Yeah. So it really seems to be to that. Like it's a lot about like shattering illusions. Mm-hmm. Although it often does it in a way that maybe doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's uh, but maybe that's the point, right? If if we're I think too on so. the nose with it, probably it's too simple, right? Yeah, gotta show some weird imagery, and it does that. Yeah, and like you said, memorable. What a ride! What a, what a good time! Yeah, too bad the song wasn't like a little bit better. Mm-hmm. This would be probably. Uh, I mean, could could have killed on uh, on MTV. Oh yeah, could have been an MTV top ten smash music video hits. I don't know what any of their top I don't know pops charts were called. <laughs> um, but I do know we got to get into these cover versions, Alex. Starting we do Ice House, Ice House. Yeah, nineteen ninety five. So this was who are Ice House? Uh, Australian group. Yeah, I forgot I to write more about them. Like pub rockers, so they were like yeah, which uh, this like isn't really band. at all. And they shifted to new wave and synth pop. And that's more of what this is. Yeah, so they're fronted by a guy named Ivan Davies, who is the singer songwriter, producer, guitarist, bassist, synth, and oboe. Play some oboe as well. I don't think there's any oboe on this version, though. No, there might be. There might be. No, that's strings. Yeah, this one, uh, not synth pop, but definitely odd. Yeah, or, like ice odd. It's yeah, uh, without really being electronic. Yeah, because we open with a like a piano, like a very yeah. straight, not electronic, not new wave. You're right. Is this new wave or synth pop? It's different. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not pub rock. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't seem to be any of the things they were described as. Is this even the right group? I believe so, yes. Um, but yeah, it really... At the start, I thought it was going to be like really sparse and... and, and um, nope, just sparse. But it, it fills out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do like those chords at the start, though, because they're like pretty like broad. Like There's a lot of high yeah. notes and low notes in them. <laughs> So I think it sounded kind of cool, but they end up, they start pretty, pretty, yeah, Sparse is still the word I'm going to use. Yeah, it's an <laughs> acoustic guitar rhythm. Yeah. You get his very high, kind of thin vocals. And something else they bring in um, is this piano mm-hmm. that really sounds a lot like something you get from, I say Aladdin Sane in the album. Yeah. But I'm specifically thinking of, I think, Lady Grinning Soul. A lady with another grin. It's so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that. Uh, I don't know. Is that like a quick arpeggio? Is that some other fun? Something word? like what that. Yeah, or it's like a fast run. I don't know how how wide it would be. I don't know what you consider it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. like up and it's down. It's very like uh, smooth, very sounding. gentle sounding, and it yeah. plays quite quick though. Yeah, very atmospheric. 
And it creates a pretty good atmosphere. This is a lot closer to what we get in the live David Bowie version. Mm-hmm. Coming up soon. Um, but they do... Like, it builds quite a bit. Like, it starts yeah. pretty sparse like that, but then they bring in, like, strings. Yeah, coming nice and low for the chorus. Yeah. And and more piano chords, and, and they really fill stuff out. But they keep it uh, fairly acoustic, I guess. Um, yeah, it's they make a piece that uh, kind of thrives in the the sparseness and doesn't overload when it builds, like which was kind of our problem with the original is that you hit that chorus, it's bah, 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 just bah, a lot bah, of stuff, bah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, after the first chorus, we do get the marimba riff on that intro piano. That's true. They don't bring in a marimba because no one, no one does that. No one um, does. Marimbas are big and hard to carry. They probably have wheels. But um, I guess the other thing about this one is the vocals, which are fairly, like, soft, but they, at times in particular, uh, in particular on the chorus, uh, mm-hmm. they, they really get, like, high and are very, like, clear in their, in their high frequency. Yeah. So I do like the way the vocals sound on this one. Yeah, he goes high without sounding like he's straining, you know? It's very high and, and clear. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of this version. Like, this one takes away a lot of the harshness of some some of the other ones. Um, mm-hmm. And just kind of makes it more pleasant while providing more or less the same, like, harmonic experience. Yeah. And I think it, it carries some of, the, like, what worked in the original, which is some of that verse, like, sparseness, a little bit of that, like, moodiness, a little mysteriousness. Mm-hmm without ever breaking that just for the sake of having a big chorus. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it feels more consistent, but like in a good way, like, like sometimes we'll say that that gets boring, but I don't think it does in this one. It's just yeah, no, a different I think sort it's... of atmosphere. And I think part of that is, I mean, I mentioned the, the quick like piano runs or, mm-hmm. or arpeggios. Um, and that just kind of fills out space and like smooths everything out. Yeah, it's it's a great support without overwhelming. So we're off to a good start, I guess. Is what we're I'm off saying. to a good start. Yeah, and I think uh, what this kind of what this shows is how good of a vocal piece this can be, because it really is his vocals doing a lot of the the main work, like carrying the melody and everything. Everything mm-hmm. just comes around to support it. Which yeah, the melody and really harmony are pretty original. strong in this song. It's just not mm-hmm. always obvious listening to the original because there's so much other stuff distracting you yeah and of course it gives space for that piano to to intro us in and outro us out that's kind of where we get the extra time added on to this one yeah they're like really sparse parts because really Mm -hmm. that's just playing some piano chords yeah really basic stuff but it it makes for a nice little little touch at the end there Mm -hmm. good stuff Let's talk about a, a, a little-known artist, David Bowie, in the year 2003. So this was... I don't think this album actually came out until, like, 2010 or something like that. Right. But... 
Um, it was recorded in 2003. I don't know how available it was before 2010, but I, I put it in the 2003 spot. Yeah, I th- I'd say that's fair. So it's from the October 7, 2003 show at the Forum in Copenhagen in Denmark. From the last and longest tour of Bowie's career, the reality tour. Um, how I wish I could have been there, but I was 10 years yes. old and didn't would have, have been taste would have been bit. quite a thing. Uh, unfortunately, he never toured again. That's right. Um, big fan of this album, generally. Oh yeah. Um, got a lot of really good live versions of a lot of a lot of Bowie songs. Um. And yeah, I love the Alien, uh, all the young dudes, which we talked about last week. You get a good yep. under pressure cover on here. True, Galen Dorsey. Uh, Galen Dorsey, good, good duet. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a ton of stuff. I mean, pretty much all of the like big ones, except for Young Americans, and um, a lot of a few. I would say a little bit more on the obscure side. So it covers mm-hmm. a lot of ground. Yeah, he does. He, it's no, there's a nothing crazy show. obscure, but like reasonably. Yeah, but things that you wouldn't ex- like be like, yeah. I'm coming to the David Bowie show to hear Battle for Britain, brackets, the letter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the letter. All right. Um, uh, so, yeah, big album. fan of this version as well. This is where yes. I first heard Loving the Alien. Um, but because of the... He, he, he introduces he it, it yeah. in the show in a way that he basically says hey we used to do this differently but we kind of like to do it this way um and so before i even knew the song i knew that this was a departure from the original right and uh, i did watch a a version a version an interview Mm -hmm. with jerry leonard where he talks about how david bowie called him up and was like hey i want to do the song loving the alien um i want to do it with just uh, you on guitar and me singing and I want to start it on like A minor and that was like all he said <laughs> and then just a couple of days later they got together and were, like he you know worked some things out and they, they uh, rehearsed later but uh, it's kind of a funny story but he's talking about how much he liked the the um, production production the harmony but also um gave a little insight into how this actually works because this is just him and Jerry Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's a, and it's a much, much stripped down version of the song. So yeah, basically what happens is at the very start of the song, the guitar starts to play the marimba arpeggio yep. slowed down and then he loops it as he plays that chords. Makes sense. And like, that's pretty much it. And he cuts the loop out at some points and brings it back. That's right. But like and then, you, of course, you get yeah. the uh, the guitar doing a, a rhythm bit, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's Which doing. Which is very sparse. Time. It's played very, I would say, emotively. Every, uh, every strum feels like it has purpose. Yeah, and it's much more of... Like, I mean, there's much more focus on just the vocals. Mm-hmm. because the rest of it's kind of taken care of and it's got like the cool part from the original which is that arpeggio from the marimba yes and keeps the harmony which is also a good part and then david boyd's vocals really get to shine yeah and he like he really is doing a performance of these vocals whereas the original it seems a little detached 
like this version is full of that sort of theatric Bowie where like I get like each word has a purpose each word is like verbed out he knows what he's singing and why he's singing it yes and they've slowed it down so he gets a little bit more time to like really dig into those words mm-hmm. and he really does like particularly when he gets to um like the choruses and stuff he gets pretty up there you know yeah like there's some real especially when he hits prayers like prayers it's huge uh, the saddest view yes and yeah. he's like kind of breaking up as he does good stuff um they keep the da, 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 the like out of time part yeah but that it's, uh, it's, that build up yeah it fits a little bit better i think <laughs> it does absolutely it feels less like they suddenly brought in like a horn section for mm-hmm. just that one part um the other thing I like about this one, uh, because it is so cut down and it's just guitar and it's just David Bowie, and like this could be just one person, you know, like oh, yeah. you could strum those chords and sing, maybe not uh, do each as emotively, but it's feasibly a, a reasonable solo piece uh, with the with a loop pedal, for sure. So it feels a lot more like isolated, and I think part of this song does benefit from that feeling of like isolation 100% um, maybe just because it is such like an observational song and there's a big feeling of like I, clear, I can see this you know why can't anyone else see this you know mm-hmm. so I think and it even adds- just the word alien in the, the title evokes isolation yeah and, and which is I guess probably one of the reasons that I one of the first thoughts I went to was like oh he's not talking about an actual alien He's talking about just strange things, like mm. a person who is on their own and likes weird stuff. Right, the alien as a descriptor more than as like a noun. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed up what happens in this version. It's a phenomenal take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows how you can do... We, we often talk about stripped-down versions on this show, and usually they're not necessarily the best, but this is that done right. Yeah, yes. And what what did Jerry Leonard say? I mean, he said, obviously, anytime you want to do this sort of thing, uh, this isn't him, this is me. Um, It's tough, you gotta know what to strip away, right? So he Mm -hmm. said the song was always there, but he just picked out the important parts. I'm paraphrasing, but... Right. But, I mean, that's kind of... (laughs) That's the, the ideal way to cover a song, is to look at the original, find the most important parts in your opinion and uh and just build it around that yeah and they did great and that's why we need to move on and talk about heartbreak in 2008 indeed we do these guys Heartbreak. are a London-based electronic yes. music duo uh, consisting of Ali Renault and Sebastian Muravchiks. Muravji? I don't know. Oh, that's, yeah. Muravchiks. 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 M-U-R-A-V-C-H-I-X, for anyone curious. Yeah. Um, so apparently they have, uh, I mean, the Wikipedia article says their backgrounds are in electro, which is mm-hmm. also called electro-funk, uh, and italo-disco. Which Hell yeah. just both sound like fairly, like I would be like, oh yeah, electronic music. They're both electronic music artists. Um, 
in my, you know, uneducated. Yeah, I guess. When I think of Italo Disco, though, I world. think of Laura Branigan. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that's my only touch point. Uh, but what they've put out in this is more... Yeah, it, it's more like... Just like an electropop thing. This this makes me yeah, hundred percent. It's a, and this is the longest version we're talking about today. It's it about is. as long it's as like the actual length. original cut. Seven minutes, seventeen seconds. But kind of kind of similar to the comparison between the original and the single edit. It's like I felt like going from one to the other. Like this could be shorter. I don't think. Oh yeah. But like also the long one is like fine. Like. They feel mm-hmm. about the same to listen to, which is strange. Well, yeah, because, like, and on this one, the first, like, 20 seconds of it is just, like, digital noise. It's True, just, like, a lot of mood setup. Intro. Yeah, a it's, like, these really, noise. really electronic, like, synthesizer sounds. Some of them mm-hmm. sound a lot like the intro to Spaceship Superstar. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, this is an 80s sound, even though it's... 2008. 2008, yeah. And you're getting bits like static in there. So, yeah, some real big electric. Like, yeah, stuff like that. Um, and then it also, like, after that, they get into the baseline and it's like mm-hmm. the baseline from the original. But it seems to be more built around that, though. Yeah. Built around the baseline as like a kind of more dancey thing. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of other sounds and that's the big thing I think in this one is those other sounds because you get those like laser beam sounds and like many many synthesizers yeah and this really intense guitar mm-hmm. things like that These, uh, they, uh, like they do have the, the arpeggio the marimba arpeggio yeah. but it doesn't come until a bit later um <laughs> and then the other element to this song which is the the vocals uh, which are mm-hmm. very like kind of weird 80s new wavy yeah 100 percent um more like uh what am i thinking of is it like she blinded me with science is that the right she blinded me with science it's just they're kind of like in motion (laughs) what's a man come and go like yeah it's like a bit like like not classically trained like they only barely know how to sing and they're pushing their vocal cords <laughs> and they also kind of want to sound like aliens yes so we love them i guess they want us to love them we love um, them. Oh. <laughs> and yeah i mean you said not classically trained like there's points where it definitely feels a bit flat but like it works because that's kind of the style that's the vibe yeah <laughs> like they're, they're de- probably not quite hitting the right note but it sounds like a machine you know mm-hmm um, and that's kind of that's how they go man yeah like, it's just a lot of like layering in of yeah. new instruments for a bit there's really low stuff that comes in you go like okay I can hear that for a bit and then it's gone and then it's uh like in terms of what notes are being played there's a lot of faith to the original just hearing that chorus you do get that uh, first sort of uh arpeggio that comes in for the first half that so like, like a lot of the elements are there there's just so much other shit around it there is a lot of other shit it def i'd say this one as compared to the original version this one more like to me evokes the like 80s synth pop thing and for that i i appreciate the novelty yeah i think it goes full on in that direction rather yeah. than breaking it up 
Yeah. So, and like, that's kind of it. I, I struggle to describe specific parts because there's so much like, now there's this synthesizer, now there's this synthesizer, mm-hmm. and there's like so many different synth sounds. Yeah, um, it'll truly be like a second where you get like a pew, and you're like, do I have to tell everyone sure. about that? I just did now, but like... <laughs> yeah, but now it's gone, and like, oh, this is one bit where there's like a guitar, or uh, what's it, harmonic. Yeah. But it's just once, and then it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. I don't even. Yeah, know we don't get that synth, that marimba riff in until like three minutes and forty-five seconds, like yeah. halfway through the song. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot, and uh, and the vocals are very amusing. Mm-hmm. And that's like about as far as I can go with this one. Yeah, Although, I mean, in terms of no, go ahead. Um, I think it'll come up again because the next one is also kind of synth poppy, so there'll be some comparison. Definitely. Um, this one goes for synth pop closer to like a, a dance track is my feeling. Yeah. There's a lot of atmosphere setting up. Um, it's seven minutes long, of course. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's an emphasis on that bass line. So in terms of bringing this to the dance floor a bit, I think it's successful in that. I think it is an interesting version. Um, I, I mean, like compared to the original? I think maybe a little more successful in, in at least landing its mark. Yeah, yeah. At least it's more of like a familiar thing as opposed to... There, there's more to like latch onto here. Mm-hmm. Like the original I said was missing something. And this one kind of finds that in its like synth pop identity. Like it, yeah. the thing it finds is not its own thing, but it's something. You know? Yeah, 100%. It's recognizable. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that works. Like it works we figured out that it works, so they're using mm-hmm. it, but it works. And they do the weird vocals, which is always fun. Yeah, buddy, and we get a, a vocoder version of the vocals around 6.15, as we're, we're going <laughs> yeah. into our outro, which is pretty fun. Yeah, I guess it's just like a fun collection of 80s synth. Stuff. What else is there to yeah. say about that? It's good stuff. Let's talk about visage, or visage, if you're French, in 2015. <laughs> These guys also, I mean, the other ones are London-based. These ones are actually British. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the other ones are actually British. Who knows? Um, yeah, but not from London. They're a band that's been around for quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually have been around since the late 70s, um, or at least maybe the mid-70s. Um, Mid-year was in this band for about four years, who we oh, talked yeah. about uh, last year. In um, Oh, my God. I swear to God, I have something written here about yeah, reminds me of that Metal Gear Solid Five version of the man who sold the world. <laughs> yes. Now he wasn't in this track, but he was no. in the band in the in the like seventy eight to eighty two. Um, okay. Yes. Who we talked about in the man who sold. Yeah, and this is actually their final album they released because the the lead singer or the front man, I'm sure he did more than sing. I could be wrong. Yeah. But Stephen Strange or Steve Strange uh, passed away before the album was completed, and then they they finished the album and. Yeah. That's it. Back in 2015, so... Or 14 or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. so... This is their their final album. And uh, also, kind of synth-poppy, but definitely has more of like a, a dark sound. Yeah, these guys are also associated with the New Romantic movement. Are you familiar with that at all? <sighs> Not really. I did look it up, but then I forgot about it. 
Yeah, it seems to be more of a fashion statement than a, a specifically oh, a musical right. so styling. Like Boy George outfits. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, fashion combining glam rock style with early romantic styles of the late 18th and early 19th centuries. So yeah, that kind of movement. And obviously our... David Bowie influence from... Yes, a movement influenced by David Bowie, Mark Bolan, and Roxy Music. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Uh, so some standouts in this this field of new romantic are Steve Strange of Visage. We got Duran Duran, the whole band. Spando Ballet, the whole band. Flock of Seagulls. Classics Nouveau. And of course, as you mentioned, Boy George of Culture Club. So yeah, these yeah. guys aren't necessarily nobody, but they are... Someone who like, I haven't heard of before. <laughs> exactly. They're a part of a scene that I'm not all that familiar with. Yeah. So they're That's interesting, it, this one. and they also, mm-hmm. I mean, the sound is also something that I can identify as like, oh yeah, that exists, but wouldn't necessarily be able to put my finger on exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. But this also sounds very 80s. Yes, you know, but like you like said, darker 80s. Sounds, but darker, yeah. More of that, like, I guess, post-punk sort of edge. Yeah. Because you do get, there is a... We open with an electric guitar arpeggio in there, mixed really low in the track, but it's got some bite behind it. Yeah, there's a lot more of that like distorted sound Mm -hmm. uh, on the instruments. Um, I said, oh, I said less artificial because there's more like guitar, basically, (laughs) as opposed to just all (laughs) synthesizers. Right, yeah. Uh, But it's still all very electronic and there's lots of effects and stuff. Yeah. Um, what else happens in this one? Um, big Still, like, fairly chords. distinct dancey, dancey beat. Yeah, that as well. Sorry, you said big synth chords. Yeah, bi- there's big synth chords that kind of, like, punctuated this. Yes! That's another one of the big differences. Yeah, they come in, and it's more like stings. And they kind of slowly fade away. And they kind of have more of that. They're like, there's more harmonics going on in these sounds make them a little mm-hmm. more distorted sounding um and the vocals go more f- go for more of like a monotone thing yeah at least in the verses he does they do fall into the chorus trap here we get that full-on production True. of dan, 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 dan. i think it's better on this than on the original but it's still yeah weird to me. i thought it felt more disconnected but that's kind of like it makes more sense because this version is a little more what I would expect from this style. Yeah, I agree with that. So, for what it's worth, it's still there. Mm-hmm. And we do get a guitar solo in this one as well, in the middle there, around 150. We do, which I, I should have checked the original one. I don't know. <laughs> it's in a similar place to where it would be in the original full-length version, but I don't know that guitar solo very well, so... It's possible they just played it. I doubt it, but it's possible. Yeah, this song, like in terms of like '80s music, I'm. It has that like midnight neon city kind of feel. You know that classic like pink neon grid with the black squares. Yeah, like, a little like cyberpunk sort of thing going on. Yeah, that's really the vibe I get from this one. Pink neon grid. Yeah. Okay. Should have been more pink on the cover. Yeah, somebody's driving a, a vehicle that's either a cool 80s car or like a Tron bike, you know? Like that kind of <laughs> yeah, vibe. You can see the lights go by as you pass under street lights. Yeah, exactly. It illuminates the face. Yeah. So, 
as compared to the other one, this one, a lot darker, uh, though they both have fairly busy production and a lot of sound. Um, mm-hmm. The Heartbreak version has more like different synthesizers that fill out the space. Yeah. Whereas Visage, Visage has like more of the dark thing and filled space with like harmonics and like bigger sounding individual instruments yeah. as opposed to more instruments altogether. I'd say that's correct. And I think Heartbreak is more of a dance track. While this one does still have a dancey beat behind it, this one is more of your post-punk area, genre-wise. Yeah, Yeah, which you can still dance to, but wouldn't necessarily call it a dance track. That's right. Um, Oh, at like 2.20, it's very difficult to hear. Uh, The guitar, real low there, is plucking out the... uh, the marimba riff is it yeah it's mixed so low i can't even hear it right now let me see if i can oh yeah it's there trying to listen for it turn up your speakers listen more in the right ear all right oh fuck yeah yeah just barely is there something there but it's very (laughs) yeah yep yeah it's there so yeah, they got the might riff. as well not be. I don't know. If that's true. <laughs> I know for what it's worth. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say that, but maybe if it wasn't there, it would just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, hard to say for sure, but it's there, people. If you thought it wasn't, it is. Anything else on this one, Alex? No, I think that's pretty much it. All right, let's move along into Miriam Ida in 2018. You hide the saddest you. Believing the strangest things Loving the alien and- Miriam Ida, yeah, Miriam Ida is a Swedish jazz singer uh, yes. Done a bunch of jazz stuff and these days manages a jazz club in Sweden Hey, that's pretty cool Yeah, and did this album of David Bowie covers Nice uh, Including Letter to Hermione And The Man Who Sold the World, which we did not discuss this version. We did not discuss. Um, so jazz singer, so it's probably safe bet that we hate her, you'd think, but... you think? <laughs> well, I found this one pretty good. I don't know if it's just because it was a sharp turn from a lot of the digital directions most people took this in to, like, organic drums. Yeah, like, very, very acoustic and more of an organic acoustic. sound than uh, even the other acoustic one mm-hmm. by Ice House. Yeah. In some ways. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it has a very earthy sound to it. Yeah. You really hear that, like, wood and strings and stuff. Uh, yeah, and especially there's that one random, like, woodwind toot that comes in occasionally. Is it the water? There's, like, a water drop sound. Oh, maybe that's it. You know what I'm talking? Like, I don't know if that's what, like, it's probably a drum of some kind, but you know, you know I, I don't think it's the woodwind. Oh, that wind, one that's, but, like, doom. Yeah. It's probably just yeah. some kind of drum, but it just goes, like, boo. Yeah, it is some kind of drum, I think. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, sounds like that definitely go a long way to making it sound organic and earthy. Yeah, this rich or like organic percussion is what backgrounds this. Yeah. So I would say as much as it seems like, again, like Ice House, seems like it's going to strip it down. It just like doesn't. Uh, it just does it in a different way. Like it's busy in a different way. Yeah. It's uh, honestly the only part that really read like jazz to me. Or like jazz, like we've heard it on the show, is like the start of the chorus. 
there's a brief switch there where I go like, oh, fuck this. And then it, but then it kind of levels out and I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> the very beginning of the chorus, right? Yeah, it just like hit me different for some reason. Trying to find it. I didn't do timestamps in this one. <laughs> oh, I should have. A lot of it's very even as well. So like I did sure. kind of just jump us from the verse to the chorus, but like a lot of the production is pretty smooth throughout. Looking at like 111. It is pretty it's, even, like you said. It, yeah, it is pretty they even. They don't do the big like ba 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 ba. No, they don't. And it's really briefly a second. There's something about the way she starts prayers and the notes that hit at that time. I'm instantly taken to like lounge jazz music, like filling an elevator, and I go, ugh. But then it's it's wiped away just as quickly by the rest of it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay, yeah. There's a, there's a few interesting things um, in this song, like I, like the very the intro, which they all seem to like mm-hmm. switch up the intro a bit, um, or a lot of them do. Uh, the guitar is playing, and it's playing like and then it plays like an interval. I don't know what the interval is, but it's got to be like a small one because it's pretty discordant and it sounds very close Running. together. So it's just like kind of clustery chord thing. Um, but that doesn't like keep going forever. No, it switches to a more like rhythm. Yeah. Um, this one kind of made me on think of. Sorry, I said a great tone on that guitar. Yeah, good sounds. It's good sounds. Uh, this one made me think of when we talked about Talking Heads, and they were mm. like playing loops, but they just were playing like not recordings. They were just playing the same thing over and over again. Right. Because yeah, there are definitely parts the of this here. that feels like that. It's a lot of repetition yeah, on, on a lot of Because it is very issues. tight repetition. Yeah. Um, later on, mm-hmm. we get a guitar solo in this one as well. That's right. Or at least for a little while. I think it's a guitar. It sounds like a, like a lap steel or something. Uh, but not right. very twangy for lap steel. Um, but just kind of like, uh, you know. Sliding around. Yeah. And then that sticks around for the rest of it. But this one, yeah, has some cool sounds too. And I think, again, this one manages to create kind of an isolated feeling, particularly when you get that lap steel thing at the end, which makes me think of like westerns, even though, like I said, it's not really twangy. It still has that, that affect about it. Yeah, but it's it's something about that like as soon as you get that slide in like that. It yeah, it's like it's like a, a wolf cry, you know. It's the lone wolf thing, even though yeah. that's probably not really how wolves work. But that's fine. I see. I, I pluck wolves as well as guitars. It's the same yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, if you just pluck pluck them and they go. <laughs> sound of a wolf. That's the sound of a wolf, baby. You're right, though. There is, like, a, a spaciousness to this one. That isolation sense still comes through, even with, uh, like we said, this rich percussion, this rich rhythm section going on. There is mm-hmm. a space that's created. And that seems to be key to a lot of the good versions of this we're finding. Yeah. Um, I think you said this already, but there's a lot of percussion in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to say that out loud. There is quite a bit. And uh, let me go on the record and say there is a lot of percussion in this. Oh, thank you. Thank you <laughs> for saying so. the case hasn't been said. So. Um, a lot of, like, hand drums come in there, and this kind of, like, jazzy kit. Jazzy mm-hmm. kit. All kinds of stuff. And then that weird water drop thing. Boop. Boop. 
Yeah, and of course, her vocals are very soft throughout, even when we hit the uh, chorus, quite smooth. It's a version that manages to be light, again, kind of similar to the Ice House version, without being boring. Yes, I, I don't think the Ice House version is boring. No. But also, this one isn't. Yeah, they're just quite quite consistent, but they set up something that supports the song and the, the overall tone of the lyrics. Yeah, what's interesting about this one, um, mm-hmm. I've noticed, is that um, neither of us are a huge fan of the original, although mm-hmm. it clearly has some good stuff about it, but like most of these covers surpass that. Like, oh, 100%. Most of the covers do a pretty good job, actually. Yeah. Of of uh making this into something else. So there's definitely some good stuff in there to work with. It's just kind of hidden underneath the rest of it. Underneath uh yeah, just like some bad decisions. It just seemed like a bad time <laughs> to be David Bowie, honestly. Yeah, and I mean I know later on he said like in the late eighties and early nineties, he was really like revitalized artistically, working with Tin Machine and stuff mm. and some of the other music that came out, so he was just kind of less inspired. That's the narrative I've heard anyway. Yeah. It, at this time. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes, sometimes you have to take happens. a decade or so off and at two points in your career. That's, oh, yeah. That's what I've been doing for my whole career. Yeah. This is my, this is my second decade off, I would say. <laughs> it's about to wrap up, though. I'm, I'm really about to knock one out of the park. Hell, yeah. That's yeah. Once thirty comes in, I'm I'm gonna start kicking things up. One to ten, I was doing great works, my best stuff. Learning how to walk, shitting on a toilet, all that kind oh, of yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, almost ABCs. finishing Mega Man Four. Yeah, that's huge. I beat the yeah. Ocarina of Time. <laughs> ten to twenty and twenty to thirty. Fuck it, nothing, bro. I'm artistically Just, I'm uninspired. Lying low. Just laying low, low, waiting for the right opportunity. Letting everyone yeah, else you- catch up. You are right, though, in that this is almost an anomaly on Cover Me, where the, the original version, it's happened a couple times, but and I guess this is my way of also pushing us into the, the final verdicts here, but yes. I, think it, I think it may well be the worst version. But let's get into it. Three categories today, Alex. The worst version, the best version, and the version most beloved by Aliens. By Aliens, yeah. Um, worst version? Can we say the original? Sure we can. Um, I've never said this. I've probably said this. Maybe I've said this before. I don't know. It's probably the worst version. But if it's not, my least favorite after that was probably Ice House. But I thought these are pretty decent covers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like the Ice House version. But it, it yeah. also suffers from being the closest to the, the good David Bowie version. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which it gets surpassed by, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, I'm going to give it to David Bowie, the original Loving the Alien. Um, second time I've given David Bowie worst version on, a, on an episode of Cover Me. Was the first, was the other time the duet with, uh, with, with a Morrissey? Morrissey? Yeah. yeah. That almost doesn't count, but yeah. Almost. <laughs> it wasn't great. It was not great. But yeah, I think really it was a good DNA. And like I, st- I still like the marimba itself. But I think the chorus doesn't work. The vocal performance is not his best. And it's, it's a version that demands a better version be, be made. Because I think the lyrics are actually really good. I, I think a lot of the song is very good, except the performance done in 1984. Yeah, that's pretty much it. 
pretty much it. Alex, that said, who's the best? Who's the best? Oh, I mean, I just I love the David Bowie version of this so much. The live one. It's um, got to be. I I just after that probably heartbreak. I really like the heartbreak version. Yeah. As far as the electronic versions go, I would probably pick that one next. You know, it is I just feel like it's important to give it a second because, like, I don't know. Of course, I'm going to say the live David Bowie version. Yeah, that's but fair to give a second also, choice there. Good job, everyone else, for doing a good job. Truly, really yeah. Like the live David Bowie version. To take a much maligned Bowie song, and to even say I could do this better with David Bowie is a yeah. wild take on yeah. most occasions. Then to pull through with it. Hey, good on y'all. Yeah, loving the Alien Live by David Bowie on reality tour in 2003. The epitome. It's the greatest. Yeah. Um, runner up. Yeah, you might be right with Heartbreak because they also challenge the full runtime of the song and manage to stay interesting the whole yeah. time. And I like their like kind of cheesy 80s thing they do with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to meet the song in its own era and say, well, here's the better version that you could have made in 1984. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like yeah, meeting the yeah, it's it's um fighting the song in its in its own turf. That's right. But it doesn't have to be a fight. We can all have a good time together. Yeah, it could be a just a gentle ribbing. But like if it was a fight, it would win. If it was a fight, heartbreak would win. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> yeah, so I think I'll take heartbreak for uh, for best as well. Alex, we're sending it out to the aliens. Which which version are they going to love the most? Which version of the aliens going to love? Uh I think the one so, what are the aliens going to like? I don't know. I'm going to assume the aliens are into, like, they're going to be like, oh, what's, what's the weirdest thing? And we all know aliens have big, bloopy computers, right? Right. That's, that's what they're known for. Um, what they don't necessarily have is jazz music. So, i got to give it to Miriam. Something a little different, because I think the aliens are going to be like, oh, you know, they'll just get a little, a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think they'll appreciate it, appreciate it because it's it's not alien like. Well, yeah, because you know they're traveling the universe. They're like this is this other... is human music, you know. Exactly. This is music from Earth. You guys ever hear this? I know it's pretty different. I just like the way it goes. Boop. That's what they yeah, say. Yeah, that water drop drum is gonna drive them fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's aliens, man. Hell yeah. Humans are too busy on their technological starships to have anything other than synthesizers. They're like, that's damn, fair. this is this is the real thing. That's that's a good choice. I'm gonna go a little different. I'm not gonna do your full on because obviously, if you're gonna do full on like beeps and bloops, you're giving them heartbreak. I don't think they need heartbreak. I don't think they want heartbreak. I think what they want is music that also gives them the human experience, but circa you know, like new wave slash post-punk of the 1980s. And of course the resurgence of that now. So I'm going to give them Visage's version of loving the alien. So when they come to earth, they won't be confused. They're like, Oh yeah. Right. Just different enough. Like, yeah, just different enough. Not too different. That's That's it. That is what the aliens deserve. I always said, and this, I now realize having done the segment, we also did a sending, I'm pretty sure we did Life on Mars sending music to the aliens wildcard <laughs> category. So, yeah. history well, repeats itself. Sometimes you gotta, you know, double up. Hey, yeah. If I mean, the good, aliens have enough time to listen to at least two songs. At least two songs. I mean, they've got so. that one Beatles track, I think, out there in space. We might as well send them a couple other songs. That's our final verdicts. Y'all have 
different opinions, similar opinions, want to talk to us about a version we didn't talk about, hit us up on Twitter, hashtag CoverMePod, at Jake the Cressy, at some Alex Wise Guy. Send us your comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. You can email those to us at well at CoverMePod at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on and like subscribe to us on your podcasting things. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, I think. The other ones. Tell your friends about us because we don't have a marketing budget and we don't know your friends or we tell them ourselves. That does it for today's episode of Cover Me. Thank you all for joining us. And as we always say on Cover Me, believing the strangest things, loving the cover me.